turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. Yes, indeed it is. And good morning to you once again from our nation's capital, live in Washington, D.C., virtually in the shadow of the Capitol building, close enough that I was able to walk it as part of a one-man walking sightseeing tour yesterday after the broadcast and actually after our uh, after our uh, reception that we had here last night in Washington. And I've got some stories to tell today. I've also got some tremendous guests as we continue live from the Federation for American Immigration Reforms holding their feet to the fire. 2022 event. It's their 15th annual, interrupted only in 2020 by COVID. And uh, 2021, they were coming back on a much smaller scale. They had about half the size last year that they had this year. And now, for the third time and the first time in three years, I'm back joined by 65 other national and uh, local talk uh, radio hosts who are concerned about immigration, who are trying to sound uh, the alarm, trying to sound the spotlight 
uh, or shine the spotlight, rather, on uh, illegal immigration, what it's doing to national security, what it's doing to uh, the crime levels in this country, what it's doing to the economy in this country, and so much more. Holding their feet to the fire, quite literally, is exactly what they do at FAIR. And that's what we are here for. I'm so proud to be, have been invited by FAIR to bring me out here and uh, do what we can to... to, to uh, uh, to, again, alert the masses, and that's what we're doing. I mentioned it yesterday. I'll mention it again today. They literally have invited strategically hosts from all quadrants or all regions of the country. There are people here from New England area, from the northeast, people down from Florida, Georgia, Alabama, from the southeast. They're from Texas. They're from, uh, yes, California. I, got, I met somebody yesterday from Hawaii, as a matter of fact. But literally every region of the country, including the great Midwest, the flyover of the country, uh, country, if you will, that the... Uh, Democrats hate so much, and that's what I'm part of. And uh, we are here really uh, trying to do what we believe to be the best thing in the nation's interest that we possibly can, and that is remind everybody that without a border, you do not have a nation. Without a border, you do not have a country. And the people here who are the guests understand that. Yesterday, I had a really phenomenal uh, lineup of people to talk to about these issues. Today, it gets even better. And, and that's no disrespect to the people yesterday, but honestly, this is just uh, this is the way that it goes here. We just have some terrific um, uh, people to talk to. Coming up here in just a few moments, we're going to be talking with uh, Tom Holman, former acting director of Immigration and Customs Enforcement. Nobody tells it quite like it is the way Tom Holman does. As great as some of the other guests were uh, uh, yesterday and will be today, there's just nobody who speaks it with the truth. Uh, and the directness and the bluntness that Tom Holman does about the dangers of illegal immigration in this country. So Tom Holman will be joining me very shortly. A little bit later on this morning, Dan Stein, the president of FAIR, he founded FAIR, Federation for American Immigration Reform, in 1979. And he's fought for the last 40 years to secure the borders and deal with mass immigration. We'll also talk with R.J. Hallman of the uh, affair. He's the director of government relations there. He's on the front lines of every immigration policy fight there is. Uh, he it was has been there since President Trump took office. He has an uncanny ability to forecast the road ahead. We're going to ask him to do that for us in just a while. Steve Camarota is the director of research and uh, at the Center for Immigration Studies. He knows the numbers inside out. One of the experts in Washington on the demographics of immigration, both legal and illegal. Uh, we're also going to talk about the pain. Um, we're going to talk to Sabine Durden Coulter. She's an angel mom representing advocates for victims of illegal alien crime. And you better believe um, there are far, far, far too many of those. We're going to talk about what happened to her son, and we're going to talk about um, the power that they are attempting to wield with legislators um, in uh, the Capitol on trying to stop more and more families from becoming angel families, if you will, being victimized by uh, illegal alien crime. And then we'll wrap it this afternoon at uh, after 11 with Ken Cuccinelli, the former acting director of the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services, and also the former acting secretary of the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. It doesn't get much more important or much bigger than that. So that's the guest rundown today. Uh, yesterday was a terrific conversation, a several terrific conversations. If you missed it, I highly recommend, don't do it now because then you'll miss what we're doing currently, but I highly recommend you go and check out uh, yesterday's podcast. It's up at whkradio.com and you can uh, listen to the interviews I did again with some of the most important newsmakers um, and uh, policy makers, uh, which is more important than that even, um, 
uh, on yesterday's show here in Washington, D.C. So we've got a huge, huge show lined up. Now, nobody brought this to my attention, I'm sorry to say. So, Johnny, get our pledge ready. Because uh, I did not, I uh, was not able to play it yesterday from my remote location here in Washington, D.C., and it did not occur to me as I was trying to set the scene for you, but uh, it, it occurred to me yesterday as I was taking my walking tour of some of the most important, you know, landmarks um, here in Washington, D.C., uh, I was staring at a flag, and I took a little video of the flag that is flying at the World War II Memorial uh, location, and it occurred to me, we didn't do our Pledge of Allegiance yesterday, and I know how much that means to people, and I couldn't play it here. But, Johnny, do you have that ready to go? Because if you do, uh, I want to go ahead and ask our patriots to rise, as we always do when we're broadcasting from Cleveland. Uh, we're going to continue to do it, obviously, now that we're here in D.C., and now that I remembered it. So my apologies for yesterday, but for today. Patriots, rise, face your flag if you have one. If you do not, that is okay. Just imagine one. Even if you're driving, at least put your hand on your heart and join us as we pledge allegiance to this great country that we will defend and that we will restore to its constitutional foundation. So to those who don't like what we're doing here, those who do not believe in the need to secure our borders, those who do not uh, uh, agree with our intention of, of securing the homeland, those of you who think that we should have an open border the way the Brandon administration does, well, you don't understand what the flag means anyway. So you are exempted from the request to pledge your allegiance to it. Instead of standing, you may go ahead and take a knee next to your favorite ex-quarterback. As for the rest of us, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. All right, thank you, Johnny. I'm not a weatherman, but I'm assuming it's about to start raining here in Washington, D.C. They just put up the uh, the uh, plastic uh, visqueen tarps all around the tenant area. We're broadcasting from the rooftop of... I don't know, if, for essentially, I'll call it the Fox Building. Uh, there are several things here, but it's the Fox Building in Washington, D.C. On the eighth floor rooftop, um, that's where we have this located. It is, of course, they are, of course, prepared for weather. It is tented, and yes, there are tent sides, if you will, clear sides that can be um, put up in the case of inclement weather. And uh, it looks like that must be what's happening because the crews right now are preparing for rain and putting up those uh, visqueen sides. So, um, so we will bring this to you again. Come rain or come shine, we will bring you the facts. I, uh, I, I, I was giving you a few of the numbers yesterday, and I want to do this now before we come to Tom Holman, who's going to be joining us just in a, in, in a couple of moments. We'll take our break, and then we'll have Tom Holman on. But I was throwing some numbers at you yesterday that were very uh, loose, um, not necessarily down to the penny. But I have some of those numbers now down to the penny that I want to share with you. And when I say down to the penny, of course, I'm talking about the researchers and analysts who literally do this every day, all day. If anybody knows this to the level that uh, they do, uh, you know, this is, this, is, this is the most accurate you're going to find. The new cost analysis by FAIR says this. Providing for the needs of illegal aliens who entered this country under President Biden adds an additional $20.4 billion annual burden on American taxpayers. This figure is in addition to the well over $140 billion a year cost that taxpayers have already been bearing to provide benefits and services for the longer-term illegal alien population. So I wasn't kidding yesterday when I said hundreds of billions. 
The annual figure has been $140 billion for the long term. But just in the last year and a half, the last 20 months of the Biden administration, in which at least 4 million illegal aliens have crossed, um, fraudulently claimed amnesty and were released into our country, it adds an additional 20 billion American taxpayer dollars. The Biden administration has willingly released at least 1.3 million illegal aliens just this year. Just this year, once you add those to the Godaways, that number is going to be over 2 million in the fiscal year that started last October and ends at the end of this month. The number of removals in Title uh, Title 42 expulsions uh, being accounted for, this is still a record high number of people coming into this country and being allowed to stay. The 1 million-ish Godaways, according to fair sources, are the most dangerous of the group. Because these are the cartel members, these are the gang members, these are the drug runners, these are the human traffickers who don't want to just be able to be caught and say amnesty and then be given, uh, you know, and then be given a free pass into the country. Um, So these numbers are staggering. And I'm going to come back to these numbers in just a little bit. But right now I'm going to take my break so we can get our our ducks in a row because Tom Holman has just taken a seat at my table. So we're going to talk to the former acting director of ICE right after this short timeout. Always Right Radio, live in Washington, D.C., Federation for American Immigration Reform event, right here on AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, 922. As we continue live here in Washington, D.C. at the Federation for American Immigration Reform's 15th annual event of holding their feet to the fire. And I said this in the intro this morning. I had a lot of great people I talked to yesterday, Mark Morgan among them. Uh, uh, I can't remember the whole list yesterday. Marjorie Taylor Greene, it was terrific. But I said, of all of the people here at FAIR, of all of the guests that are making their way through Radio Row, nobody tells you quite as bluntly and directly and straight as Tom Homan does. Uh, I've interviewed Tom several times now, including here at this event in 2019, last time. And uh, I've come to realize that if you want the straight truth without being varnished, without being colored with, you know, uh, with uh, political correctness, you just ask Tom Homan what's really going on. And Tom Homan, the former acting director of ICE, joins us now here in Washington on AM 1420, The Answer. So good to have you back here, uh, Tom. Thanks so much for the time. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So I did a little just I I like to do this before. uh, every guest that I have on, I just do the latest Google search, or, or I don't do Google, I do DuckDuckGo, but anyway, a uh, little search just to see if there's anything recent that's been written or anything else. I do a little search of Tom Homan this morning. First headline is, Tom Homan torches critics of Ron DeSantis' move to send migrants to liberal enclave Martha's Vineyard. Um, please, tell us about that torching. There's no better way place to start than right there, the hypocrisy that comes from that story. Tell us what your thoughts are. Well, it comes from, first of all, I thought it was a genius move because uh, midterms are coming up and, and there's a lot of Americans don't know we got a border crisis. If they weren't listening to people like you, your radio show, or watching Fox, they don't know. So I thought it was perfect timing to, to bus these migrants to sanctuary cities because now you have Democrat governors and Democrat mayors talking about illegal immigration. So thank you very much for that. So I, th- I thought they created a national conversation. They called out the hypocrisy of the so-called sanctuary cities that are sanctuaries to criminal aliens, but apparently they're not sanctuaries for non-criminal aliens. But I got upset with some of the comments being made. Uh, Kamala Harris, the vice president, the so-called border czar, said uh, it was a dereliction of duty on, on the part of the governors. I'm thinking, wait a minute, who are you 
to accuse anybody of dereliction of duty. You're the border czar. You haven't done a damn thing on the border to slow the flow. And you got people like Ocasio-Cortez, who's probably the dumbest congresswoman in the history of the United States Congress, make a comment that uh, it's a crime of in, uh, humanity. If she wants to see a crime of humanity, get down the southwest border, where 31% of women that get get smuggled get sexually assaulted by the cartels, where 13, over 1,300 migrants have died in U.S. soil. Over 100,000 Americans dying of fentanyl that's pouring across the border because the border patrol is overwhelmed. Talk to a 12-year-old little girl like I did that got raped multiple times by the cartels. Stand in the back with tractor trailer like I did with 19 dead migrants at your feet, including a five-year-old boy. Because of your open borders attitude, AOC, people are suffering every day and dying down there. Well, under the Trump administration, she ran down there when two children died. She blamed the administration, blamed the border patrol. Border patrol finds these two children, they're in bad shape. They did everything they could to save them. Well, they died later in the hospital. She come down there. How dare the Trump administration? You're killing babies. Two. Now we have over 1,300 have died, many children. She haven't heard a damn word. So when she talks about crimes of humanity, she always just shut her mouth because you know what she's talking about. And, and, and I, I just, all, all, the, all, these, all these politicians who want to attack Governor DeSantis and, and Governor Abbott for doing the same thing that the Biden administration has been doing since day one. They moved 50 people to Martha's Vineyard. The Biden administration has moved 1.7 million people all over this country. Fentanyl is getting to every town, city, and state in this country. And they're going, they're going, they're going to bitch about 50 people in Martha's Vineyards? I mean, it, it just, it's, it's, it's hypocrisy at the highest level. It shows politics will never die. And, and, and they don't think if they really care about migrants, they really care about Americans dying, then secure the damn border. Under Trump administration, you know, I got cues that I'm a, I'm a racist. I work for Trump, and our policies are inhumane. We're, you know, we're mean. Let me tell you something. When President Trump had illegal immigration down 83 percent, a 40-year low, how many women didn't weren't getting raped? How many children didn't drown drown the river? How many Americans didn't die from drug overdoses? How many known suspected terrorists didn't make it into the country? President Trump's policies, and I'm proud to say I worked with him. I hope to work with him again. It, it saved lives. And, but they, would just, they just won't accept the facts. It's all politics, politics, politics. If they really cared about the lives and safety of these people, they'd want to secure borders. Secure borders saves lives. And, I, and, 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 and let me just add this. One more last person that pissed me off was a sheriff from San Antonio, from Bear County, Texas. Yeah. Who, who, you know, obviously wants to be famous. Well, we'll make him famous. He makes a statement that these people are coming to the country anyway, so let's just give them a job and take care of them. He just had over 50 aliens baked to death in a tractor trailer in his county. And he makes a statement like that encouraging more to come. He's an idiot. He needs to take that badge off his chest and put it in his desk drawer because he stopped being a cop and became a politician. You are encouraging more of this? You fool. More women are going to be raped. More children will die in the river. More Americans die from fentanyl because the border is overwhelmed. And more people are going to die. So he's, he's an embarrassment to the state of Texas. He's an embarrassment to law enforcement. He's an embarrassment to San Antonio. He ought to resign because what he did was beyond the pale. It's just disgusting at every level. Well, in addition to everything you just described uh, about what it does encouraging more migrants to come and putting them in peril, he also is encouraging the breaking of federal law. He is telling restaurants and business owners in, in, the, in the Southwest, hire these people, hire these people, hire these people, which, which literally, I mean, it's illegal to hire, to knowingly hire an illegal alien. If you are not legal, a legal resident here, or you don't have a work permit, a visa, uh, then you're not allowed to be here and you're not allowed to be hired. So he's encouraging the breaking of federal law. And well, he obviously didn't get the job based on an IQ test, so I don't know how, you know, 
they elected him. They got to live with him. But hopefully what he said like a couple of days ago is going to open eyes that they got the wrong guy in that job. Well, you know, and, and also the, the lawsuit, you know, or excuse me, two, two things. The investigation by the sheriff uh, uh, in Texas who, who is investigating said, I don't know what crime was committed. He literally said, I can't point to any crime was committed, but I'm going to investigate simply because, A, I'm a Democrat, and, B, I'm being coerced into it by, uh, by Democrat leaders. And then, B, some, you know, left-wing lawyer told the migrants, hey, let's get some money out of the government over this thing. Let's file a lawsuit because they flew you here to Martha's Vineyard against your will. It's all about money. I, yeah. I've been retired for three years. I still got four lawsuits pending against me as the ice director. It's always about money. But, you know, we, we, we got to stick to our guns. You know, there's officers set out of court. You can't set out of court. If you did nothing wrong, you got to stand by your guns. And, and, you know, some of the attorneys say, well, it's cheaper to settle Maybe yeah, but look at the precedent right that is set, though. Exactly. I mean, yeah, that encourages every single one to come over here. And then, you know, and the worst part about it is, at least in this particular case, with the lawsuit against DeSantis, uh, you know, DeSantis went to the media and said, here's a copy of the form that they signed. This is what it said. It had the phone numbers to the services that they might need in Martha's Vineyard, Massachusetts. It was in Spanish and in English, so everybody could read and understand it. Here's a map of Martha's Vineyard. Don't tell me that they didn't know what they were signing up to go to. The evidence is all very, very clear, but they're still doing it just to drag anybody who wants to secure the border through the mud. So you couldn't even describe what crime they committed? No, so no. Just, 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 and Gavin because Newsom, there was none. Gavin Newsom was the first one to call for you know, prosecution for kidnapping because they moved these people to another state. Do you know he was the mayor of San Francisco? Yeah. He moved homeless people out of his city. Yeah. So how is that any difference? Another guy wants to That's be... That's human wants, trafficking, isn't it? Another guy wants to be president <laughs> who's, who, for, you know, just like COVID, you know, everybody wear a mask but me. It's just, it's just, it disgusts me every day I wake up. It's just... And, and that's why, you know, I, I get irritated, and that's why people say, why do you lose your temper sometime in Fox? And why do you lose temper when you testify in front of Congress? I'm pissed off. When you spent your whole career trying to secure a border, and you actually got it pretty much done, then they intentionally tear it down, which result in just thousands of deaths. I take it personal. And you should. And you should, because you were part of this, you know, as the acting director of ICE, you were working very hard with the Trump administration to try to patrol and protect the, the people of this country. And then they, uh, they tore it, literally tore it all down. Tom Holman is our guest. He is the acting director of ICE. We've got him for one more segment right after this time out for news. We're going to ask him what he thinks of Corrine Jean-Pierre literally standing in front of the country and declaring that the last administration had a broken immigration system and they're trying to fix it. We'll get his reaction to that. I think you can imagine what it's going to be like as we continue live here in Washington, D.C. on AM 1420 DS. Sleeping masses and stoking the fire of the American dream. Always right radio with Bob France on the answer. Live in Washington, D.C., day number two of Federation for American Immigration Reforms hold their feet to the fire. Uh, live radio event. We're joined now by uh, continuing with uh, Tom Holman who is the former acting director of ICE, Immigration and Customs Enforcement. We were talking about uh, Ron DeSantis and being sued by some of the migrants that he flew to Martha's Vineyard. Not, of course, on their, uh, you know, at, at their urging, but they've certainly been grabbed by activists. And DeSantis' office yesterday responded to that, saying, and I quote Tom, 
It is opportunistic that activists would use illegal immigrants for political theater. If these activists spent even a fraction of this time and effort at the border, perhaps some accountability would be brought to the reckless border policies that entice immigrants to make this dangerous and often lethal journey through Central America and put their lives in the hands of cartels and coyotes. The transportation of immigrants to Martha's Vineyard was done on a voluntary basis. The immigrants were homeless, hungry, and abandoned, and these activists don't care about them. They are using them for political purposes. Pretty, pretty much what you said as well. And these migrants, most of them said they were grateful because they were being sent to a place where services were much more readily available to them when, than where they were. It's, it's like the, you know, there is more media at Martha's Vineyards in two days than it's been on the border the whole year. So the people that refuse to cover the border rush to Martha's Vineyards because, hey, we got a story that's going to hammer the Republicans. I said before, it's all politics, and if they really cared about these people, like they claim they do, they didn't want to address the underlying causes. Why is this happening? I've said many times, Kamala Harris says you're looking for the root causes. All she got to do is walk down the hall to the Oval Office. There's your root causes. Or she could have walked down when, when they delivered aliens to her residence at the Naval Observatory. Her house is about 150 yards from that front gate. She could have easily walk down there and talk to the same people Griff Jenkins talked to. They said, well, we can't because the border's open. I walk right across. You invited me. But she doesn't want to know what the root causes are because they have no, they have no plan to fix it. They don't want to fix it. Right. Well, and I think that ultimately, I just mentioned to you off the air, uh, Brandon Judd said yesterday the reason primarily why they're saying, you know, that the last administration had a broken immigration system is because that that immigration system worked. It kept people out. And that is broken in their mind because they literally want people to come. The question, Tom, for you is what is their end game? Why do they want millions and millions of illegal aliens to come into this country, pathway to citizenship and everything else? Is it all about votes? Oh, I, I think that's a big part. I think it's, it's, it's your ideology, open borders. The progressives just think, you know, let's live out the John Lennon song. And I think a lot of it's about votes, but they only have to vote. I understand when he signed 90 executive orders, Biden, abolishing everything we did, he also returned the Trump census rule. Now, millions of people are being released in this country. Most of them are going to sanctuary cities where they can be protected from ICE by, by the local politicians, which means when they count the next census... It's going to result in more votes, more seats in the House for the Dems, which, which, which means perpetual power. The, the Dems think, see some future political benefit from doing this, so they're selling this country's security, our sovereignty out, to be in control of Congress. It's, that's all it is. It's, it's disgusting. Tom, um, you mentioned, uh, uh, or I mentioned, Corrine Jean-Pierre, and uh, I want you to speak to this from a personal level, because I know how much it upsets you. You worked very, very hard. Uh, for the federal government and for ICE and in other, a lot of other capacities, working with the Trump administration to try to protect this homeland and protect this border and protect the people here. And she goes to the podium at least twice in the last week and declared that the we inherited, we the Biden administration inherited a broken immigration system. Um, and, and we're doing our best to fix it. Uh, we've taken extraordinary steps. I think she said unprecedented steps to fix it. How does that make you feel as somebody who worked for the last administration and, 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 and who was making good faith efforts to protect the people? Uh, it pisses me off. She's lying just like the secretary lies. Just like the, I'm, you know, politicians always spin it, but I've never seen an administration outwardly lie to American people. Remember Joe Biden's most transparent administration? Yeah. No, it's not. She gets up. First of all, she's way over her head, right? They got to get rid of her because she's an embarrassment to administration, in my opinion. Because she was an affirmative action hire. She's gay Probably. and she's black. And that's exactly what they said when they hired her. Our first gay black uh, press secretary. That's all they cared about. They said the last administration dismantled the system. 
they dismantled the system. They wrote 90 executive orders dismantling everything we did. And she says a broken system. To look at the data. Trump had illegal immigration down 83%. You guys have historic illegal immigration you created within the year. So who broke what? The numbers don't bear out what she's saying. So, you know, part of me makes me mad. Part of it, it's just you got to laugh because they have no shame. They have no shame. And and, and, I, and, and they, they keep saying their, their policies are humane. I, I may have mentioned this before because I, I say it all the time. Well, Biden's policy is much more humane. The last administration, the secretary says this, the inhumane policy of the Trump administration mm-hmm. are not a spirit of this, what this nation stands for. When illegal immigration is to 83%, I just said it before and I'll say it again. How many women didn't get raped? How many Americans didn't die of drug overdoses? How many terrorists didn't get in the country? Trump's policies saved lives. Joe Biden's policies have, have resulted in a record number of Americans dying, a record number of migrants dying, and a record number of terrorists coming across that border. That is a failure. And they lost. They, they they lost that argument about their system any better than Trump's system. I think Trump is a great president. He did more to secure the border than any six presidents I worked for. And if he comes back, I'll come back, and we'll fix it again. Wow, I love the sound of that. I do. So you'll come out of retirement and work again for Absolutely. whatever capacity I, I, he wants. I had, I had dinner with him seven weeks ago, and I and I made a quim. He comes back, I'll come back. Would, whatever would, he's would, would you come back for another Republican president if somebody was committed to fixing the border, like, like a DeSantis or somebody? If, uh, yeah. if President Trump doesn't run or can't run or whatever, yeah, my, you, my you loyalty is with Trump. But if he, if he don't run, another Republican gets president and he wants me to come back? Yeah, because... All we got to do is dust off the Trump playbook and get the border back on secure and save lives, for God's sake. Yeah, that's very well said, and that's exactly what it's all about. So um, you, I'm glad you mentioned terrorism, terrorists coming across. Texas Governor Greg Abbott yesterday signed an executive order labeling drug cartels as terrorists, and he sent a letter to Biden and Kamala Harris asking them to do the same thing. Fentanyl is a scourge that is killing thousands. You talked about fentanyl a little while ago. Killing thousands of Americans. Drug cartels are the major suppliers of this substance, and the problem is a national emergency. That's part of what he wrote to Biden and Harris. One would think that even with the, the disagreement on, on you know, the, the merits of illegal immigration and so forth, that everybody would agree on the fentanyl. Everybody would agree that something that is that lethal that's killing so many people. Christ, they're making it, excuse me, they're, they're making it in, in Skittles colors to make it look like candy. Yep. For kids, to eat. that's just literally attempted mass murder, as far as I'm concerned. I would think we would all agree on this. Do you think that Biden and Harris would at no. least go this far? No? no, they're not going to do anything based on the Governor Abbott requesting. It looks like they're following, you know, they follow the leader. I think Governor Abbott's being exactly right. Fentanyl has killed more people than 9/11, a lot more people. And uh, if, if Biden wants to do that, when you declare someone as a, a, a terrorist organization. So much more money is prioritized to making that fight. You get access to intelligence databases that you normally wouldn't get access to, like DOD intelligence bases. It would take the war. But I tell you what, you got to go one step further than just declare them a terrorist organization. you got to tell Mexico, we're going to come down there, we're going to take over this, this investigation because so much of Mexico's military and law enforcement is corrupt. Not all of them. I know there's some good people down there. If I dealt them for over 30 years... A lot of intelligence we don't even share with them because we don't trust them. Let us take the lead because we got some great agents in this country that can follow the money. That's how you shut them down by following the money. That's that's how you take the biggest organizations down. We can send some skilled financial investigators down there, follow the money, just dismantle the entire organization if they let us take the lead. But if Mexico takes the lead, they're never going to fix it because Mexican cartels own Mexico. 
The Mexican cartels control our southern border. The the, the, the strongest country in the na- in the world, the United States, no longer has con- operational control of their southern border. I've heard that just about every chief patrol agent. Absolutely. One chief patrol agent, Tom, it's not just lose control. It's broken arrow. He was, I can't contain what's coming across. I can't even come close to containing what's coming across. So I think it was a great move by Abbott. I don't think the Biden would agree to it. If he did, I'd be happy. And yeah. I'll say that I was wrong, but I don't see them taking any cues. They, they claim they want to unify. They claim they want to, you know, bring America together. That would be a great way to bring all Americans. Every... You heard this, how many times you heard the Secretary of President even say the word fentanyl? They won't. You know why? Because when it, it, fentanyl, okay, what's causing it? They're going to have to admit. Yeah, well, exactly. DA says ninety-five percent comes from the southwest border. So what are you doing about it? Yeah. So they stay away from it. It's not being manufactured in in American cities. It's, it, I mean, at least on a large scale. It's it, like you said, ninety five percent is coming, and they'll have to acknowledge that threat. Tom Homan, a former acting director of ICE, continuing to be a consultant, continuing to be an American patriot and hero, working so hard to protect this country from uh, the scourge of illegal immigration and the uh, and the horrific policies of the Biden administration. We're live in Washington D.C. We'll be back on AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Okay, 9.52. Now we continue live in Washington, D.C. with Federation for American Immigration Reforms. Hold their feet to the fire. 15th annual event here as we continue to shine a spotlight on uh, the scourge of illegal immigration, what it's doing to this country's economy, what it's doing to its national security. And we are joined now by the guy who makes it all possible. Uh, Dan Stein is not only the president of FAIR. He was the co-founder. He helped form FAIR in 1979, and he's been fighting for the last 40 years or so to secure our borders and deal with the mass immigration, uh, the powerful special interest groups that use it to get cheap labor, labor and Democrat votes. Uh, Dan Stein, this is an amazing organization you've built. Thank you so much for holding this event for the 15th straight year, and thank you for joining us. Bob, it's great to see you. Thanks for being here. It's a pleasure. Every time I get the invitation, I feel honored. I really do because it's uh, it's very important work that that you guys are doing, and we just want to help uh, you know shine a spotlight on. Dan, let me ask you from just since I did the history thing here for you, tell me about the evolution of Fair since you since you started it. Well, it began with uh, some Americans who looked at global population growth back in the 1970s and said, "Man, this is going to be a crush on the borders unless our country's prepared for it." And population around the world is about 4.5 billion people. Today it's over 7 billion. That's over 3 billion more people, and there are a lot of them trying to get here. Probably about a billion and a half would like to move to a country like the U.S. So FAIR was set up to try to fashion sensible immigration policies that would ensure that every immigrant is legal and that the numbers were manageable and consistent with what we were trying to achieve as a nation, whether it was social, economic, environmental, or cultural, whatever. Um, ensure that immigration, if we're going to have it, is going to actually assist in the American project and not undermine it. So we've got uh, millions of Americans all around the country who are uh, supportive of us, uh, get our activist alerts, hundreds of thousands of donors and and sponsors, and, and of course we partner with Talk Radio, which is so important in this age of tech censorship. My gosh, who knew? Who knew 20 years ago? that uh, the Democrat Party would form alliance with tech companies and just start intimidating people from speaking out. But that's where we are. 
hopefully, by the way, some good good news on that front. A uh, federal judge, I think just yesterday I saw, after we were done with our program, a federal judge ruled against big tech companies saying that any tech uh, corporation with over 50 million users, which include the, the giants, uh, they cannot censor political views. They cannot just say we're a private company. If you have a platform like that that is for public discourse, you can't call yourself a private yeah, company. Yeah, it's like a utility. So it's like the post office. Right, right. And so, they, so they're going to be you know, a lot a lot less uh, able to, to you know, censor views with which they disagree based on what they call misinformation. Now, let me ask this again. (laughs) I do, too. It's, of course, going to be challenged, but that's a great step, though. So when I ask about the evolution, and I appreciate the origin that you talked about there, what kind of a difference would you say since, you know, the the first flag was flown for Federate for FAIR? Well, if you look at around the the world, you you saw what happened in Europe in 2015, and I mean, we're very proud of the fact that we feel that even though things are catastrophic at the moment, we've been able to kind of hold the line, as I say, when you have billions and billions more people trying to get to a country like the U.S. We've been pretty successful in holding back the mass amnesties, and, you know, we're kind of like the Space Invaders game where we're out there constantly shooting down crazy legislative proposals every time Congress uh, moves on some legislation, someone tries to tack on a crazy immigration rider, special interest groups, and we tend to are able to knock those out. And so we've been able to mitigate a lot of the damage. And of course, under Trump, an awful lot of things we'd recommended for decades got put in place. People saw the efficacy, how effective it was. And then Biden comes in, first time in history a president comes in and says, okay, what's working? Okay, dump it. Right? 60 days. Exactly. Creates intentionally, sabotages, creates a crisis. Calls people un-American who don't agree with them, semi-fascist if you don't agree with them. I mean, weaponizes law enforcement against political opponents. Part, I'm, I'm saying part of this is our success in the sense that they're so frustrated because they haven't been able to re-engineer the electorate to achieve one-party political control through immigration, which is what they would have been able to do if we hadn't been in the way. We're talking with Dan Stein, the president of FAIR, the Federation for American Immigration Reform. I've been trying to ask every guest uh, that I talked to over the two days of the event here um, what the end game is. Why? You know, uh, Mark Krikorian said, you know, he doesn't think it's as simple as they're trying to import as many uh, millions of, of uh, you know, illegal aliens as possible, grant them a pathway to citizenship, and then they all vote for the Democrats and it's perpetual power. He said there's a moral component to it. They literally just think that it's, it's, it's a moral, it's immoral or amoral to ban anybody from coming wherever they want to go. Um, what is your opinion of well, the end game? Why are they taking these well, drastic think, I mean, steps to allow unchecked immigration? To me, the red flag is if you use the phrase, just think, which means, you know, I don't care what the evidence is, empirically not relevant. I just think blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, that's not really an analysis, okay? If you look at the weather underground, Prairie Wildfire, 1974, Obama brought in these folks, heirs and everybody. There, that's the Democrat Party platform, except for the violent overthrow of the U.S. government. When they brought in the Frankfurt School and Michelle Foucault and post-structural modernism, they basically said, okay, I have my truth, you have your truth. It's about power relations. It doesn't really matter what the truth is. The law can be bent, and the end game is, is basically to advance my interest as a political elite governing and, and managing a society in some utopian outcome. It's about tear down, destroy, and in order to try to create the the volatility to put in place something that they believe they can manage to perfection. Now, will they articulate it that way? No, they have all these, you know, Mark says they have these moral components. Well, that to me, that's all fig leaf window dressing. What they really say is that we don't like what America is. 
we have all kinds of allegations about it being structurally racist and that's why the way it is but the point is we have an anglo-saxon principle of jurisprudence and ideals that we inherited from from britain and europe in the enlightenment about procedural process fair play evidentiary hearing uh... innocent till proven guilty the free marketplace of ideas right to jury trial right to you know not and and ultimately for democracy to work we're a republic by the way you have to have a shared sense of common interest and common outcomes. Democracy doesn't work if you have divisions to the point where if the other side wins and you don't feel they have your interests at all in mind at any level, which is not historically how it's worked in this country, you will see the country split apart. And that's what's happening. They apparently want to create the volatility. It is not the, Demo it is not the Republican Party that has changed. It is the Democratic Party positions. Joe, Joe Biden says... You are semi-fascist if you say things he himself said through most of his career. What the hell is that? That's a great question. So is the teardown to be followed by a rebuild in the model that they wish, is it a globalist model? Are we literally trying to yes, take away it's, the it's, sovereignty? It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's about derogations of sovereignty. Do you see a North American union? They, they believe that there's some kind, in their fantasy utopia, they believe that social engineers can run the world better. Look what they're doing now, distorting market conditions around energy. These things have proven catastrophic over and over again. What do they do? They redistribute money, take other people's money, say we're going to have a program to solve a problem, throw money at it, doesn't solve the problem. Then they talk about the struggles and how people are suffering for another program. So then you, suddenly you got $32 trillion of national debt, a dollar that won't. I paid $8.59 for 24 paper plates at CBS the other day, destroying the value of the dollar, inflation eating away everybody's earnings, and undermining the American dream. And this is the road they want to go down. And it's not the road. Most Americans believe we no. should be doing, and that's not what we—that's uh, not how we were founded. We're wasting the gift that we were given, this uh, wonderful republic, and uh, and it's up to us as citizens to Amen. fight back. And that's Amen. what Fair does. Dan Stein, president of Fair, and again co-founder. Thank you for what you're oh, doing. Thank you for here. talking to us. Thanks for bringing all of the common sense and knowledge to this. We appreciate Good to see it. You. All right, it's ten o'clock. We're going to take our uh, top of the hour news break. We're going to come back. We're going to stay with Fair. R.J. Hallman, director of uh, government relations for Fair, is going to be our next guest as we continue live in D.C holding their feet to the fire on AM 1420, The Answer. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. Hour number two underway now at nine minutes past ten o'clock on this Wednesday. Or excuse me, Thursday, beg your pardon. It's the second day we've been here. The 22nd morning morning of the ninth month of the year of our Lord, 2022. Where is here? If you just turned us on for the first time in a couple of days, you don't know. We are live in Washington, D.C. I am live in Washington, D.C. for the uh, fair holding their feet to the fire event. 66 radio talk show hosts have been invited here as Bob, or I mean, as uh, Dan Stein, the co-founder and the president of fair, just said a moment ago. He said, who knew how valuable talk radio would be? particularly conservative talk radio with the social media platforms, the digital platforms, 
censoring the viewpoints of, of millions of Americans. I mean, millions of Americans cannot share information. Mainstream media won't cover it. Digital media and social media won't allow it to be shared because they call it misinformation and they want complete control of all narratives. And so what do they do? They, they, they've got to turn. Where, where, where do people, what do people do? They, they've got to turn to the one place that really has been largely untouched. And I should say that while knocking on wood because maybe that's the next target, but that's conservative talk radio. The place where the digital companies can't shut us down, big tech, Silicon Valley can't shut us down, the mainstream media can't stop us, and uh, these are the free and fair public airwaves. And that's what FAIR and other organizations who are concerned with the uh, destruction of this country by, in many ways, by the way, that was, a, that was just a, an enormous amount of information by Dan Stein in that last segment there, particularly the last couple of comments of his about what is going on in this country beyond just immigration and beyond what the goals are of those who want open borders. Talking about North American unions, talking about globalism, talking about tearing down the United States as being irredeemably racist and thus building it back up in something less than a, uh, 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 less than a capitalist model, more of a socialist, maybe more of a communist type of model as part of a globalist plot. I mean, all of those things are extraordinarily important, and they're all accurate. So um, talk radio is so important. That's why they invited 66 of us uh, to come to come down here to Washington, D.C., from all over the country to tell the truth, to talk to the experts, talk to the legislators, talk to the uh, insiders. And we're going to get an inside lesson, by the way, from R.J. Hallman, who knows the swamp, particularly as it pertains to immigration. Uh, he's a lobbyist. He is a policy wonk, and he knows inside and out everything that's going on in that Capitol building, uh, which is just a you know, stone's throw from where I'm sitting right now. He knows exactly what's going on. He'll join us here at about uh, 1020. So before we get to that, since I do not have a guest for this particular segment, I want to just comment on something that is kind of um, typical, maybe. That may or may not be the right word. Exemplary. Uh, it's an example of, of uh, exactly what so many of us have been talking about that we're afraid of. The lack of belief in law and order on the part of the federal government is reaching its way down into local governments. It's reaching its way down into the citizenry, particularly people who are just bad people. They're starting to get comfortable with the idea that if I do something bad, if I commit a crime, there's a reasonably decent chance that I'm not going to be held responsible for it. That a left-wing district attorney in the interest of equity and in the interest of you know, rehabilitation and in the interest of fa- fundamental fairness and so forth, that a district left-wing district attorney is not going to prosecute me or is not going to prosecute me to the fullest extent of the law and there's a reasonably good chance that a judge won't even hold me so i won't even be held in a in a, in a holding cell uh you know in a county jail while i wait my trial there's a reasonably good chance i'm not going to face much if any repercussions at all in other words it's worth the shot for me to do something illegal i don't have any reason to believe that i'm going to be held accountable now i believe that this attitude is being kind of begun and is being fomented by the federal government when they basically say we don't believe in the rule of law either 
when we don't believe in the rule of law, we won't even secure our border. We will, in fact, we will reward people who are coming across uh, this border uh, illegally. We will give them housing. We will give them jobs. We will give them clothing. We will begin give them food and so on and so forth. We'll reward them and tell tell the people here that they're a gift. They're a gift. Illegal immigration is a gift. That's what Martha's Vineyard used to say, too, until they showed up and they said, yeah, we want to return this gift to sender. Uh, and they got them out of here within 44 hours. But when the government refuses to enforce laws, what message does that send to more localized governments and, more importantly, to the people? And that is my setup to the story in North Dakota that you probably have already heard about, but I want to take this segment, since I don't have a guest here, to, to comment on. Shannon Brandt is a murderer. Shannon Brandt allegedly killed a teenager, an 18-year-old, by running him down with his car because he described the teen, the uh, teenager that he killed as being a Republican extremist. The phrasing of that matters. The phrasing of that matters. The North Dakota man, Shannon Brandt, who's 41 years old, spent just days in a Stutzman County jail on criminal charges related to the death of the 18-year-old Kaylor Ellington, Ellingson, before he, was po- he posted a paltry $50,000 bond and was released. And when I say paltry, he had to put up 10% of that, which is $5,000, and was released. After being released, or actually at the time of being released, he actually told a judge that he doesn't want any trial to inconvenience his life in any way. He does not want the judge to and the, and the trial system to impact him because he has a job and he has a life that he wants to get back to. Now, this is a guy whose who's, who's explanation for why he ran over an 18-year-old kid or an 18-year-old young man, is because of a political dispute, and this was a, quote, Republican extremist. He objected to the bail amount uh, that he had to pay at all, any bail. He wanted to be released on a murder charge on his own recognizance and told the judge, I have a job, a life, and a house, and things that I don't exactly want to see go by the wayside, family that are very important to me, end quote. And the judge gave him this paltry bond that he had to post and let him go. Bram was arrested Sunday morning, telling first responders there that he struck the team because the pedestrian was threatening him. He said that he hit him because the pedestrian was part of a Republican extremist group, end quote. Now, at this point in time, we have no earthly idea what Republican extremist group that the victim was purportedly belonging to. But it doesn't matter, does it? I don't care if he's a member of the KKK, which is a Democrat extremist group. I don't care if he's a member of Antifa, which is a Democrat extremist group. I don't care who he is. You don't run people down with their cars, murder with your cars, murdering them, and then saying, yeah, by the way, can we uh, get this over with quickly here because I've got a house and a family and a job and a life I want to get back to. You just took somebody's life because you didn't like their politics, and you expect to be let loose. Free of charge, own recognizance, no bail whatsoever. And that's exactly what uh, what he's counting on. The North Dakota Highway Patrol on Sunday reported 
that there was a street dance on the street where they were, where he struck Ellingson and then fled the scene. And now his attorneys are demanding a speedy trial, one that won't impact his life very much. Point being here, when the federal government does not believe in laws, when the federal government sets the standard for the people that you don't have to obey and follow federal law, whether, whether it's immigration or, or tra- uh, trafficking in drugs or human beings and so on and so forth. If the federal government signals that the laws don't matter, how can you expect the citizenry to follow them anymore? To follow them any more closely. And that's exactly what I think happened here. And by the way, I mentioned the wording Republican extremist. It's not coincidental that that, those are the words that have been used constantly over the course of the last couple of months by Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, Kareem Jean-Pierre. Republican extremists are the threat. Republican extremists are the dangers. They're the domestic terrorists, and they're the ones you have to watch out for. Now he runs one of them over with his car, kills him, and says, by the way, you know, can uh, can you leave me alone now because I've got a life I've got to get back to? Unbelievable. All right, it's 1019. We're going to continue live, and our next guest has indeed sat down at the table. R.J. Hallman is going to be joining us to talk about inside baseball, inside the swamp, immigration from uh, that side of it. Um, it's an extraordinary uh, situation that we are dealing with right now. It requires an extraordinary close, extraordinarily close look at it. We'll continue that look live in D.C. right after this on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. Onward and upward, now 1022. We continue on AM 1420. The answer, R.J. Hallman is the Director of Government Relations for FAIR, the Federation for American Immigration Reform. We talked to Dan Stein, the President, just a a few moments ago. Well, actually, about a half an hour ago now. R.J. is on the front lines of every immigration policy fight since Trump took office. He has an uncanny ability to forecast the road ahead, and that's exactly what we want to ask him to do, to talk about what this immigration picture looks like in the next two years, in the next four years, the next decade. It may be dependent upon which party controls power for the majority of those years. So, R.J., first and foremost, thank you yeah, Bob. for joining me and then for having me here as a part of this phenomenal <laughs> Of event. course, we're thrilled to have you here. So, RJ, let's let's um let, let's get current events first, and then we're going to talk uh, future with you. Um, this is an astounding thing. I saw the number, uh, and I actually reported on it on this program. Roughly 140 billion dollars a year are spent dealing with the current level of illegal immigrants here in the country. Since Biden took office, and this roughly four million that have crossed in 20 months mm-hmm. uh, by way of asylum claimants and and gotaways and so on and so forth, is another 20 and a half billion dollars that uh, the American taxpayers have to deal with. Um, those costs are real costs. Those are those those are costs to house, to clothe, to to educate, to shelter, to provide health care and so forth mm-hmm. to millions and millions of people. How can anybody look at that? those numbers, particularly if they're concerned with getting down the deficit, mm-hmm. concerned with the uh, tax burden on the American people? How can anybody? Forget po- politics. Forget mm-hmm. about the party. How can anybody look at that, that and say, I'm okay with that? Yeah, you know, first and foremost, I mean, that is a very conservative estimate that we acknowledge. I mean, we, we think there are even more legal aliens that were in the country when we first, you know, made that $140 billion estimate that we obviously tacked on the $20 billion yeah. under the, with the illegal aliens that have been released into American communities and the gotaways as well. I think we took it for around $2.3 million of, of, of That's right. Of, of, but you're right. There's probably four or five Because you took total. into account the number that 
we're turning away with uh, Title 42. Correct, correct. So we just wanted a, a very accurate number. And again, it's it's a number that's really resonated, I think, a good bit on Capitol Hill. You know, some of the more fiscal conservative types were always the ones who want mass legal and illegal immigration into the country. They say it's going to increase the GDP and all that. I mean, but look at the cost on the American taxpayers at a critical time. Inflation's running rampant. We've spent trillions of dollars. We cannot afford this. It's dangerous for American communities, and it's also dangerous for the American people's wallet. So, RJ, um, when, when we, what is the working number you're going with? I, I talked to Mark Krikorian, mm-hmm. and he disagrees with many who think the number <laughs> is up in the 20s or whatever. He says it's still around 11 or 12 million. Even though more and more keep coming in, he said more and more are dying or they're actually becoming legal or they're leaving and whatnot. What, what is your operating <laughs> You know, number? we put it probably at the 14, 15 million okay. range. But, you know, it's, it's interesting. If you, know, you look at what the media says and everything, I feel like they've been saying 11 million for 10, 15 they years. Have. They so have. That number certainly changed, we know. But, again... All of these people, too, that are being released into the country are all being released under the guise of legality. They're getting work permits and everything. They know their claim is going to take six years to get adjudicated. So, I mean, do you, do people even consider them illegal these days? It's just a total mess. Okay. So we're, we're looking at record numbers of drugs, particularly mm-hmm. fentanyl, the most lethal mm-hmm. thing that you can imagine. We're looking at human trafficking at extraordinary levels. We're looking at gang members. We're looking at cartels and coyotes and so on and so forth, all flooding. Give me the short-term, the mid-term, and the long-term projection. If this remains unchecked, mm-hmm. and let, let's just suppose for a second that whether the Republicans win control of the, uh, in, the, in the legislature in, the, in November or not, they're not going to be able to establish you know, new federal policy without right. the executive being on board. Mm-hmm. So let's say two years from now, mm-hmm. after another two years of the sim- same kind of mm-hmm. thing we've seen in the first 20 months, and then another four years after that, and then look out to the decade. Do you have a projection of what this country looks like? I, I mean, it's, it's going to change on many fronts, and, and Americans will keep dying. Our communities will remain unsafe, and, and wage levels will be affected as well. But, you know, we have a really big fear. I mean, first, you know, we Republicans will have a mandate, and I think we'll get into that again. They need to do a border security bill out the gate. They need to do aggressive oversight and properly control the purse strings. Stop giving DHS a blank check to undercut its entire existence. But I'm very fearful in the next two years with the Biden administration knowing they cannot work with Congress at all to even get funding or actually pass changes to our uh, our immigration system, I think they're going to be as aggressive as ever with that pen and the paper. You know, Obama obviously did DACA, affected about 800,000 at the time. The numbers dropped about 600. He tried to do DAPA, which was struck down in court, which would have protected their parents. But I think the Biden administration is going to issue some insane memo to protect every single illegal alien in the country. They are going to go balls to the wall. Okay, on undermining our entire immigration system. I think they're just waiting, licking their chops. Let's just do all we can. Let's let in everybody and and keep gutting immigration enforcement with memos and and uh, proclamations and things like that because they know eh, Congress ain't in our corner anymore. We're talking with R.J. Hammon, the Director of Government Relations for FAIR. Um, Kamala Harris was asked a question a couple of weeks ago about what is being done to secure the border, and her response after doing one of her word salad things was, we really need to establish a pathway to citizenship. That's not the answer I mean, to the question. The no. question is what is being done to secure the border, and she's saying, well, here's what we want to do for the people who are already yeah. here. We want a pathway. Is that I is mean, that, that, just, that just shows how the, you know they're accusing the governors of using these people as political pawns. Democrats are using all these illegals coming in as political pawns so they can change our country going forward. I mean, the fact that she's the audacity to say when she's being confronted with actual border numbers, being told how bad the crisis is, and her immediate solution is just legalize them all, that's going to make the magnetic pull even stronger exactly. from people coming from Central America and everything. Amnesty increases the flow of people coming into the country. It's a no-brainer. just shows where Democrats' priorities lie. 
Okay, so RJ, like I said, you know, I mean, I don't know what kind of bill they can propose if they do take the majority back. Again, they're still going to have to, it's going to have to be veto proof because, uh, you know, the, the executive is not going to go along with it. But that's just one of the many things that the Republicans have to focus on if they take the majority back. Now, you've just shown this to me, and uh, there is an announcement that is forthcoming from the congressional Republicans about their commitment to America. Now, this is multifaceted, but there is a specific immigration front to it. Can you tell us about that portion of the commitment to America? Yeah, obviously, a very big big section on the economy that's strong in the fight inflation, lower cost of living and all that. But one of the top priorities really is a nation that's safe. And they say to secure the border and combat illegal immigration. And when you think Republican establishment on Capitol Hill, we're always a little bit fearful if all they're going to do is more processing facilities, more infrastructure, advanced technology. Sure, they mention that on here. But they are committing to actually do some really important statutory changes that we need and catch and release loopholes, require legal status to get a job, mandatory you verify. And as we were talking about that, that $160 billion, Eliminate welfare incentives. So, again, they're committing to this. We'll be working with congressional leaders out the gate. Put a border security bill on the floor immediately and then pivot to aggressive oversight and properly controlling of the purse strings. So we're, we're very confident that this is going to be good. And, again, Republicans have to stop just tweeting about the border crisis and saying how bad it is. Actually have solutions. Show the American people you want to solve the problem. And, you know, this does a lot of that if it, you know, if it, if it has the, enough strength to get through. The question is, is, again, how much opposition will they face? And it, it's mind-boggling, I think, to what I like to believe are common-sensible people like you and me, that anybody could oppose this. We're, t- we're looking at a crime spike, a violent crime spike in this country that is through the roof. And why is that? Because we have, we have handcuffed police officers. We've handcuffed Border Patrol agents, ICE agents, and so on and so forth. So at l- every level, from local to state to federal, crime is getting worse and worse. How are um, you know, the American citizens supposed to feel safe in their own country when we're allowing more criminals in? And when they get here, we're not doing anything to stop them from criminalizing. No, and, and you're, you're spot on, too. And it, it's just crazy that it, that one party is so aligned with lawlessness in our country. I mean, in American communities down at the border, it's it's just wild, too. Again, to see how both parties now are, are polar opposites on this issue. I mean, I think as we were tracking on some immigration votes and everything, there was like one vote total. And it was like on an amendment of one Democrat who voted in line with immigration restrictions. Jared Golden from Maine, and he's about to get purged. So, again, Americans have a choice on the ballot, okay? You have an open borders agenda and a secure borders agenda. So they'll make their choice come November. 30 seconds, R.J. Hammond. I've been asking everybody that I can uh, what, what they view as the end game. What is the end game for the open borders policy? Is it the destruction of the United States and the establishment of a North American Union, a globalist society? What do you think the end game is? No, Why are they doing Absolutely. This? They're trying to undermine our national sovereignty and solidify permanent political control. That is their goal. They say Governor Abbott, Governor DeSantis, and Ducey are using these people as political pawns. They're using every migrant flowing into our country as a political pawn, and the media and the general public need to be a little bit more outraged. R.J. Hallman, Director of Government Relations for FAIR, the Federation for American Immigration Reform. R.J., thank you so much. A smack in the face of reality there. Thank you. All right, that's R.J. Hallman. We're up to the news break now. It's 1031, and uh, we've got so much more for you live here in Washington, D.C. After the news, uh, we're going to be talking with Steve Camerata. We are going to be talking later with Sabine Durden Coulter, uh, an angel mom. Speaking on behalf of angel families who have been victimized by illegal immigrant uh, criminals and the former director of Homeland Security, Ken Cuccinelli, will be with us in the 11 o'clock hour. So we still have a lot of ground to cover as we continue on AM 1420, The Answer, live in D.C. What do you think I see? and a 
pursuit of happiness. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. All right, we continue now wall-to-wall coverage of the crisis on our southern border. We are not at the southern border, but we're at the next best place. We're at the place that establishes the policies for the southern border, or at least they're supposed to. We're in Washington, D.C., continuing now Federation for American Immigration Reforms, holding their feet to the fire event. I'm joined now at my table here on Radio Row by Steve Camerata. Steve is the Director of Research at the Center for Immigration Studies. He is a veteran of this thing, and he is uh, one of the foremost experts on not only the problem at the border, but the problem on the interior that is caused by the problem at the border, and that's what we're here to talk about. Steve, thanks so much for coming by. How are you? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me back. It's a pleasure. Um, so, Steve, you you know these numbers inside and out, and from our off-the-air conversation, I want to bring it on to the air now. And I want to talk not just about you know the number, the amount of drugs that are coming across, and about the number of uh, domestic, or excuse me, the number of terrorists that have crossed. I think 78. We were told on the terror watch list have been have been apprehended already coming across the border. Let's talk about the impact on American workers. Let's talk about the impact on Americans in our cities from this massive unchecked uh, uh, illegal immigration. Um, before we get into that, what is your working number of the number of illegal immigrants in the country right now? Everybody has a different one. I know, I know, right. Um, I'm more where, like, uh, DHS is in there. They haven't put out a new estimate for a while, but I'm where Pew and DHS and the Center for Migration Studies are. Uh, is somewhere around 11 million. 11.5 is my number. Okay. Um, but, I, but I would say that um, we have the most up-to-date, well, one of the most up-to-date. We think that the number has grown, the net increase in illegal immigrants, because remember, people are always going home. We legalize a lot of illegal immigrants in the existing population. There's natural mortality of about 50,000 a year. Some people do still get deported, not many under Biden, but still. So there's a lot of out-migration in the illegal population. But we still think since President Biden took office, the number has grown by about 1.4 million. Uh, So that means that probably somewhere around 2 million new illegal immigrants settled in the country in the last year and a half, give or take. Do you ever get involved in debates, and friendly ones, of course, but like, like I just asked R.J. Hallman that question. He said, we're operating at around 14, 15 is our number. And I've, I've seen other immigration experts, yeah. guests on Tucker Carlson, who have said the real number is 25 million. Uh, you know, we've been at 11 for 20 years, and there's just no way that many are leaving or that many are dying or that many are getting, uh, uh, becoming legal to match the number that are coming across, particularly during the Obama years and now in the 20 months of, of, uh, of, uh, of Biden. So do, do, do you ever, is there, is there a policy summit somewhere where everybody can get together and say here's where our number comes comes from here so that we can come to some agreement yeah i mean it kind of matters 11 million to 15 million 4 million more people is a big big difference yeah um most of the academic research is more like 10 to 12 right now um give or i mean that's sort of pre-pandemic so the reason why i come down on the side of the bait that the 10 to 12 is right is that where it's it let me explain real quick to your listeners i'm going to simplify a lot here but okay we have a pretty good idea of how many legal immigrants there should be in the country, though it's not as tight as you might think, but we have a pretty good idea. We can then look at the data that the government collects every month. Say, for example, there's this monthly survey they do that measures unemployment, but since 1994, they've asked everybody if they're an immigrant. They've actually asked their citizenship. They asked when they came and what country. There's a lot of information there. You can subtract all the legal immigrants from that and then get a number. And when you do that, you get a number around 9 or 10 million, and then you can adjust that for an undercount. Why don't we think it's more than that? Why do we think, well, gosh, you mean to say that the, the illegal immigrants respond to the decennial census or these monthly and annual surveys the Census Bureau does? Well, let me tell you why we think they do. Um, first off, 
they're not that suspicious. They're not that afraid, and they kind of think it's a good idea to register their presence in the United States. The surveys, for example, do things like this. They ask, hey, have you had a kid in the last year? Well, we can add up all the people who had a kid in the last year and then look at all the birth certificates. Are they out of whack? They're like, wow, there's like three million more people being born than show up on the surveys. Uh-uh, that's not what it shows. They show a lot of similarity. Other questions they ask on these surveys, like, do you have a kid? And in, is he in public school? Then you can go and look at enrollment records from public schools. Again, it pretty much lines up. If we had a lot more illegal immigrant kids, we'd expect those two surveys to be out of whack. Again, the survey shows a lot of illegal immigrants, but it doesn't show 20 million. But the, uh, the, the, the counter uh, narrative there is, and we hear this all the time, is that illegal immigrants are so afraid of being caught and so afraid of being uh, discovered, they won't even call 911 in the case of an emergency. Because yeah, somebody's that, that's come all untrue. It's, uh, there's, it's clearly the case that immigrants have more confidence in the police, generally speaking, than the general public. And there's actually a survey of that. It's called the Crime Victimization Survey. We have a paper on this. If you drill down and look at non-citizen Hispanics, people who self-identify that way, they're more likely to report serious crime than are the native-born. Not a lot more likely, but in some cases, there is actually a statistically significant difference. They're never less likely to uh, report it. That's true in every region of the country. The other point is, again, it would be very strange if illegal immigrants were having kids and not registering those births. Because there's one thing illegal immigrants generally know, that all U.S.-born children are citizens. And having a citizen child is something that is positive for illegal immigrants. I'm not saying they do it explicitly for that, though some might. Many do. But, 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 yeah. but, but it doesn't matter. The point is, that only works if you've registered the birth. So the only way that the, the survey data can be way off... Um, is if they have a lot of kids, or maybe maybe they're just uh, you know celibate and they don't have kids. Uh, there's no evidence of that. We ha- we don't think that's the case. By the way, we have other research. Um, for example, when Mexico was a primary sender, uh, it's still the biggest country by far of illegal immigrants. You know, states still like forty percent of all illegal immigrants or more. We th- this Mexican census asks p- some questions that you can discern. Well, how many people are in your household, but they're living outside the United States, uh, outside, outside of Mexico? Mexico. Again, it doesn't show 20 million people in the United States. There's not, there's not that many people missing from Mexico or Central America, the primary sending region. Last question on this particular point before we get into the labor numbers. Yeah. Um, you mentioned we know how many uh, illegal immigrants there are, how many legal immigrants there are. Um, what about overstays? Because that's the, they say that's the primary driver of the growth of illegal It was until, until Biden came in, yes. Okay. Um, so we used to think, we, it used to be 60-40, what they call these entrants without inspection, sneaking across the border, basically, and 40% um, people who overstayed a temporary visa didn't go home when they were supposed to. But now, uh, then for a while, we thought it was 50-50 and maybe even more overstays. But now we're back to probably more like 55%. EWIs, those entrance without inspection, and 45% um, overstay. So that is a huge issue, and that adds to these numbers. There's no question about it. Um, but remember, there's a lot of churn in this population. Um, look, here's the other thing. Two quick points. People forget the scale of legal immigration. The latest data from August shows 47 million foreign-born people. That's legal and illegal in the United States, maybe a million or two undercount. They make up now, we're just about there, not quite, slightly under the all-time record as a share of the U.S. population. So it almost... Do we need a cap, Steve? 
Oh, I think it's perfectly reasonable, and I would certainly support a, a significant reduction in legal immigration so that we can facilitate the integration and assimilation of immigrants already here. Remember, legal immigration is even bigger than illegal immigration. Um, so, But we're like 47, 48 million total. And also remember that when you think of illegal immigrants, you might be thinking about the, the whole family. But since the kids are born here, they're technically not illegal. If you counted the kids, well, yeah, you can get to 15 or 16 million illegal immigrants and their minor children. So it's a much bigger number than just the illegal immigrants. But there's 4.5 million U.S.-born children of illegal immigrants. Last thought on legal immigrants. Uh, First of all, should there be a cap? You believe there should be. Second of all, should merit be the qualifier? Because I mean, right? There well, are. Sh- shouldn't in fact, I think that's on uh, one of the fair, uh, you know, proposals for true immigration reform is making sure that you can do something to be productive for the United States of America. The people need to benefit from your presence here, not you being a drain on the on the people of America. Right. So, very briefly, if you have, if you selected immigrants based on skill, you would eliminate the fiscal cost because the reason immigrants create a fiscal cost is that such a large fraction have modest levels of education, work at lower paying jobs, and don't pay much in taxes, and their low income means they and their children qualify for services. That's the simple reason. They usually don't speak English, so they're going to be reduced to you know the blue-collar labor jobs, which, right. of course, take them away from lower-educated Right. Now, that's an issue we, we should here. talk about. But, which we will. But, but, but in terms of the other issue of skilled immigration, it shouldn't create a fiscal cost, and at least the people that they're competing with for jobs generally have a lot more wages, so they're competing against college graduates. So you might not worry as much because they have a lot more options than, say, someone who didn't go to college. The downside is, uh, you know, highly skilled immigrants often have a very strong sense of their own national identity when they arrive, so they may be more challenging to assimilate in some ways. Whereas the person who comes from a less developed country and doesn't have a lot of education, in effect, he might become modern in the United States and maybe make it easier to assimilate. So there might be extra challenges associated with skilled immigration from a sort of um, for you know uh, certain aspects of assimilation um, but in terms of the fiscal cost of the job competition issues it's certainly much less when you bring in skilled people but there is the big question if you really are short of stem workers that's science technology engineering and math most of the analysis does not show that we're short when we study wages it doesn't show a lot of wage growth we have about three to four times more people with stem degrees than there are stem jobs but putting all that aside if you are if you are short wouldn't it make more sense to produce them domestically than to rely on China to provide your engineers? That, that seems obviously problematic on a lot of levels. Same with some other foreign countries. We are talking with Steve Camerata. He is a director of research at the Center for Immigration Studies. Let's dive a little deeper now into the labor uh, situation. As I just described a moment ago, the kind of the prevailing narrative has been, look, particularly black and Hispanic workers who are uh, statistically lower educated in terms of number of high school diplomas and so on and so forth, therefore less able to get higher paying, you know, skilled jobs. They're the ones who do the blue collar work. They're the ones who do the labor that is being taken away from them by illegal immigrants who have the same kind of situation. Many of them don't speak English, etc. So, um, but that's the old model. And I know you have a lot of updated numbers on that. Now, in the United States today, there's a labor shortage, or at least a perceived one because every every restaurant you walk into says please you don't get mad at the wait we're understaffed other places are closed they've cut their hours because they can't find anybody to work anymore wages have gone from nine dollars an hour to seventeen dollars an hour for really unskilled labor just to get people off of their couches and back into the work after they got used to being paid to stay home during covid so that's a lot of stuff how does it all blend together in terms of the, the impact of illegal immigration at large numbers like we're experiencing right now on the workforce. Well, let me, let me answer it this way. If you were to graph the labor force participation, that is the share of people who are of working age 
either working or at least looking for a job. That's the unemployed, the people looking. If you were to graph the share of those people, it looks like a ski slope over the last 50 years. So, in other words, if we looked at the number... Of the Particularly share, males, right? Right, men. Women have declined, too, but since 2000. Men have been declining since the 1960s, which is around the time that we liberalized our immigration law. So, it's probably true immigration helps keep wages down, which can be good for employers and maybe even consumers, but it's bad for less educated workers. It's bad for taxpayers because then those workers don't make very much, and then they qualify for a lot of social programs. Right. We, remember, we a lot of what we do... For low-income people in America is for workers. Yes, we do things to undermine work, but we also do a lot like the earned income tax credit and the additional child tax credit and so forth, which are cash payments to low-wage workers. But one of the things that's happened in America is that men without a college degree have really taken it on chin. And this is actually true of black, white, and Hispanic. All of them have seen a very significant decline in their labor force participation. Again, the share either working or, or looking for work. So this massive increase of all these people on the sidelines, they're not, wor- they're not working, but they're not even looking. So they don't show up in the unemployment rate, like I said. And those people... I, I, I hate to interrupt your flow of yeah. thought there, but I have to just... To what do you attribute that? Oh, well, uh, you know, we're going to go over that real quick. But okay. obviously, our welfare and disability policy has discouraged work. The, the revolution in sort of um, sort of culture in America, the value of work, the idea that a man is supposed to work, all that's changed. But let's not discount the fact that there may have been a bump in wages. Remember, the big bump we've seen in wages, at least overall, maybe not some story in a newspaper you saw, but the way the government tracks it has not kept pace with inflation. In other words, uh, inflation's up like 8 or 9%. Wages for non-college educated people are not up 8 or 9%. So it hasn't kept pace. So those workers are actually poorer than they were. So that's why, um, and if we were to graph the wages over the last 40 years, we'd see a decline in real wages. That is adjusted for inflation. So that's almost certainly. So we have a decline in wages. We've got a lot more immigrant competition. We've got um, a bad welfare and um, disability. I mean, the number of people on disability is about eight times higher or something than it was even 30 years ago. So we've had that explosion. We've had the changing role of men in society, and a lot of men, a lot of young men are lost. And other things that are both caused by non-work, but actually also cause non-work, so it's a kind of a circular um, causation, is the obesity crisis, the opioid and substance abuse epidemic, the suicide and depression epidemic, uh, and crime. All of these things, the fraction of men who have criminal records, you know, that inhibits their ability to get work. So all of these things are both causing the rise in non-work and contributing to it at the same time. It's very complex. It is. And, and the short answer is no one knows exactly why it's happening. But here's the bottom line. If you bring in this many immigrant workers, legal or illegal, it lets us ignore that problem. We would never, employers immediately, if it was cut off, would say, well, we've got to fix it. We right now have 59 million working-age people not working. Now, it's a, that's a whole group of people. That's broadly defined. But remember, in 2000, that number was like 47 million. So how are, the, how are those people surviving? Well, part of it is that they're surviving on disability and welfare. Part of it is they're living in their mother's basement. Part of it, they're sleeping on their friend's couch. Because, part of it because is they, they shouldn't even be getting unemployment compensation because in order to get that in most states, like in Ohio, where I'm from, I mean, you have to, you have to provide a number of places right. you have sought work. And, and if you seek work now, you're going to get it because it's, it, everybody is hiring. Right, but what we get a lot of is intermittent work, too. So you work for a while, and then you try to get laid off. You try to find a job that's going to lay you off. You make your employer angry. He lays you off sometimes. Sometimes you get fired and that's not. But, but I've seen this you know, firsthand a lot of times. So there's some so of it's that. it's a scam. It's a system they have. 
Yeah, and a lot playing of playing the system. But a lot of it is just idle men who are supported by relatives too, a girlfriend, a mother, uh, parents. There's just a ton of that as well, you know, and so that's what we're seeing. It's a very complex. But, we, but Steve, we didn't, we didn't. It is very complex, and I really appreciate you taking the time to explain it on a on a on an elementary level, which I think maybe I need in this, because you're saying this has been going on for men, particularly since the '60s, women since 2000. But it's really only in the last, you know, 10 months, 12 months, 15 months, or whatever it is, that we're seeing this massive number of job openings, and, and, and to the point where again, businesses cannot stay open. And it's not just fast food workers. It's not just the restaurant and service industries. There are a lot of manufacturing. People cannot get them, and people are and and the the employees are holding out for that fifteen eighteen dollars an hour. I mean, I drive by a sign that says Taco Bell used to be six seven bucks an hour. Now it's a hiring now second shift for you know up to sixteen dollars an hour. It's like what the living age is going on here. So this is all very recent. I'm I'm not disputing the numbers you're talking about, but there's something that spiked it in the last year or so. Yeah. So it's generally thought that the spending level associated with COVID, and you can defend it or not, caused a very significant uh, uh, rise in consumption in the United States, whether it's Taco Bell or a new car. In addition to that, the, the supply chain disruptions obviously caused a shortage of a lot of components. And finally, COVID created kind of pent-up demand. So the pent-up demand being released, the, um, the spending causing and stimulating people had money in their pockets, they, they could, could buy stuff. And then the supply chain disruptions are probably and, – and, and there's a debate about all of those things that are contributing. But um, it is not the case that what's causing, say, inflation, though, is wages for low-wage people. They don't, make, they don't account – we could go through the numbers, but the, the, the non-college graduates only account for like 25% of GDP. So even if their wages went up 10%, it could only add like 2.5%. You know, this is a very crude calculation, but you get the right, idea. Right. They don't, we don't pay the people at the bottom end of the labor market or the less educated that much. It's capital and more skilled workers make up most of GDP. So, so in right. summary now, because we've got about a minute left here, and I know you've got another interview to get to. Steve Camarado is my guest from the Center for Immigration Studies. So in a, in a, in a thumbnail version of this now, let's suppose that uh, Republicans take over control in November. Maybe they even win again in 2024, and they start rebuilding the wall. And they start est- establishing the same policies that Trump had in place here that cut illegal immigration down by 83%, uh, you know, the lowest that it had been in decades. If that happens, how quickly before the economy reflects it? Yeah, I mean, it's a long-term problem, so it ain't going to be turned around overnight, that's for sure. Illegal immigration is along, and the illegals are here, so getting them to go home, making them go home is a challenge. There's no question about it. Um, but change in policies would certainly curtail it. And I think over time, if we had a lead in the United States that actually cared about the working class, I think we could turn this around. We're not probably going to get back to those old rates of work. But we could certainly do a lot better, and that would be so helpful for all these social problems that go with idleness. You know what's so ironic, too, is I, um, I, I picture the Republicans who care about border security and national security and the economic impact of all this illegal immigration. I picture them winning control in November as being a great step toward that. But I also have to recognize that people in the in in foreign countries right now who have been thinking about it as soon as they see oh the republicans are coming we got to get in now while they're getting good there's going to be a massive spike here because once they take over they're going to build that thing they're going to stop us again i can see them just crushing right now while biden's not paying any attention to it yeah that's very possible particularly if we get a republican administration there will be the concern that the immigration law is back in business and there will be a quick surge at the border in the same way we can actually see that in the numbers that when biden even was going to win 
the numbers went way up and have stayed way up since. Steve Camerata, Director of Research for the Center for Immigration Studies. Steve, terrific insight and information. We're going to have to have you back on again, maybe for a longer period of time, to really understand the complexities of everything you're talking about with the labor markets. But I really appreciate the primer on it today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. That's Steve Camerata. That takes us to our news break here at the top of the hour. One more hour to go live in Washington, D.C. from the fair, holding their feet to the fire event on AM 1420, The Answer. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by Keeping Medicare Simple and The Floor King. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. is Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420, The Answer. Hour number three, our third and final hour of the broadcast, our third and final hour here in Washington, D.C., live at FAIR, the Federation for American Immigration Reform, holding their feet to the fire 2022. It's uh, the 15th annual event. It's the fourth that I've been to, but the first one since 2019, as we had COVID in 2020, canceled the event. A much smaller affair last year as they came out of COVID, and now we're back in full force. 66 hosts from around the country have been invited here to tell the truth about the scourge of illegal immigration, the danger it poses for uh, the immigrants themselves, for the people of the United States, and so much more. So really appreciate you being here with us as we broadcast live from the shadow of our nation's capital. And we've been talking to policymakers, we've been talking to researchers, we've been talking to legislators. We're going to shift gears a little bit now, and we're going to talk to victims' rights advocates. We're going to talk to victim family members, and in fact, we're going to talk to an angel mom. Uh, the woman sitting in front of me, her only child, Dominic, was killed by an illegal alien in 2012. That has launched her, uh, through her grief and through her passion, uh, to advocate uh, for victims, family members, and to advocate against this uh, unchecked threat to the American population of um, criminal illegal aliens coming here and committing terrible acts like the one committed against her son. She has started a group called DomHugs.com. Dom, which of course is for her son Dominic. DomHugs.com. She's also working with Tom Holman and a group called Defend the Border at DefendTheBorder.org. She is Sabina Durden Coulter. Sabina, thank you so very much for coming here and joining us in in Washington, D.C. I know you're very passionate about this. Thanks for making some time for us. How are you this morning? I'm wonderful. Thank you for having me, Bob. So I would be remiss if I didn't start with your story. Absolutely. Ten years now. Ten years. 2012, Dominic Dominic was taken. Tell us what happened. Uh, 
It's still hard. It's still like it happened yesterday. Um, he had dropped my fiance, now husband, off uh, at the airport in Ontario, California, to go to Atlanta. Dominic was working for the sheriff's department as a 911 dispatcher, and on July 12, 2012, he was on his way to work on his motorcycle. Daily routine, everything normal, and at 5:45 a.m., an illegal alien with two prior. Um, convictions for armed robbery uh, um, grand theft auto two DUIs which he received a slap on his wrist uh, drove his unregistered truck right and turned in front of Dominic and killed him instantly and threw him into a wall on the sidewalk he decided to flee but luckily there were two witnesses behind and watched that horrific accident and one of them stayed with Dominic and one caught him he wasn't even charged with a uh, hit and run Fast forward, the judge knew him, the DA knew him, while I'm grieving after that horri- uh, horrific by, by, phone call. By knew him, you mean knew of his record or yes, knew him personally? they knew him personally from appearances in their courtroom. Oh, okay, so the yeah, same way. They, okay. yeah, they just knew of him. Uh, and I got that horrific phone call in Atlanta that every parent dreads. Sorry to say your son was killed, so we came back. Anyway, the, the judge made a deal with the criminal told him that if he pleads guilty to a vehicular manslaughter without gross negligence, he will give him nine months and five-year probation, and the guy spent 35 days in jail. Destroyed my family. Almost destroyed me. Almost. I'm, uh, I'm trying to process that now. Yeah. Um, so this happened in 2012. Yeah. I'd imagine the trial was in 2013. There was no trial. They talked. The oh, DA the plea, the talked plea. me out okay. of out of a trial. They said, "Oh, let's just have a hearing." Well, I I wasn't familiar with the system. I didn't know how they operate. Well, now I know. So, he had two DUIs. Yeah. He had uh, Grand Theft Auto. Yep. And did you say um, armed robbery? Yeah. Were those all in the states? Yes. As an illegal alien. Yes, and one deportation. M one deportation. Yes. Okay, so he was deported and then came back. Of course, and then had Which those so many do all the time. It's a rotating door, revolving so, door. Yeah, you're exactly yeah. right. It is a revolving door, uh, and I'm just so. What was the what was the uh, explanation that was given to you by the prosecutor and the judge to allow this this agreement that if he pleads guilty, he essentially gets off scot free? Well, this is where my advocacy came in because I was given a lot of blah 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 lingo. Uh, that lawyers use, I had no clue. And every time I asked, why would you give him a deal? Well, that way, and then they kept going on. I'm still in shock. I still didn't even know how to breathe from one minute to the next. And they explained their way around it and just had me running alongside and did their thing to get me out of the hair was real there quick. Com- was there any community support for you or a response? I mean, that would oh, yeah. put any pressure on these particular, you know, the judge and the, and the prosecutor right. in this case? Well, they tried, but it didn't work. Well, Dominic was well known within the city. He was uh, awarded Volunteer of the Year in Moreno Valley where we lived because everybody knew Dominic. He volunteered all his time for the fire department and so forth. So the police came out, SWAT SWAT members, um, uh, sheriffs, fire department, everybody surrounded us with support. But they couldn't put pressure on the DA or on the judge. And we wrote letters. We wrote wrote 50 letters to the judge after Mm -hmm. and to his boss to say, you have to do better than that. 
35 days for an American life, upstanding young man? I'm, I'm struggling to understand how, yeah. and, and I'm not an attorney and I'm not a judge, but I, I do know what you know precedent means, yeah. and I do know what deterrent means. Yeah. How do you deter anybody from being a career criminal like this yeah. if they see that this is what happens to a career criminal? Yeah. With a grand theft auto, with an armed robbery, with two DUIs, and now a vehicular homicide, yeah. and 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 you know, how do you tell other people you better not do these things? You better be more careful. You better this and yeah. the other because you know, look what's going to happen. Your life is ruined. This guy's life isn't ruined. Your life is ruined. My, yeah. Your son's life is gone. Yeah. And what happened though was I now started waking up and I started learning about how illegal aliens are better protected than American citizens. Because if that would have been an American citizen that killed my child, I would have had recourse. He would have been in prison. He would have lost his house. I would have gotten compensation, whatever it takes. But this didn't happen. So I had to deal not only with, with the loss, but I started becoming suicidal because at first the media was around because he was so well known. But as soon as I started talking about illegal alien, everybody started disappearing. And that's when I started waking up. And I was close to taking my life because he was my best friend. We shared a house together. We rode motorcycles together. And then I got a call from the Trump campaign. He wanted to meet me. And I thought it was a prank call because my son always pranked me and his friends. So I hung up. <laughs> but thank God they called back. So I met Donald Trump in L.A. at the Beverly Wilshire Hotel. And he tapped me on my shoulder after he listened to my story in a, in a private room. No bodyguards, just intensely, face to face. And he said, tell your story, because there was media right there. And that was the first time I told Dominic's story. And it took off from there. And my faith in God got stronger. With the help of Donald Trump, my incredible now husband having my back. It just changed. And I looked at your sciences, Cleveland. I was at the RNC in Cleveland, and I got to share Dominic's story the first night. But CNN decided to fade away and not air because they can't allow start. anything like That's that to right. be yeah any negative uh, uh, coverage of things that they support like illegal immigration right. That's and, why and they open changed borders. the wording with illegal alien to undocumented person. It I want to I want to come back current sure. here in a moment, but just and I really don't even want the answer to this question because I know the answer is not in prison for the rest of his life where he <laughs> should be. But where is the person who killed your son today? He's back in California, running free, probably with a different name. The only time he spent was the 30... When, 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 he, yeah. when he got his 35 days right. and then his probation, right. was he told he had to go back to, to Mexico? Oh, no. Oh, no, no, no. They would have just let him roam free, go back to his family. But by then, this mama bear... And I'm a legal immigrant. I'm German. Right. And my German came out. And my mama bear came out. So every week, I went to the detention center where he was held. And they were going to let him out the back door. Every week I sat there for hours in the lobby letting them know I'm not going anywhere. And I watched him walk through the hallways and all that. He stayed there a year and a half. And then one of the agents called me. We are on the way to the airport. He's being deported. But I have connections in California, sheriff and mm -hmm. so forth. And he, yeah, he's back. And they drive by the house sometimes just to let him know we're still watching you. But I'm afraid I'm going to see a... Another news story about another illegal alien, like that exactly. young lady cop just got killed on her bike by a drunk yep. illegal alien. And I'm going to see his picture. Um, it never goes away. I've met way too many other angel families, moms, dads. 
it became a calling for me. It became my life now to share Dominic and, and help others. After um, meeting with Pre- if you just turned us on, Sabina Durden Coulter is my guest. She is an angel mom. She's a legal immigrant in her own right, as she just pointed out. And her son was killed by an illegal alien in 2012. In addition to the meeting with President Trump, have you had a chance to talk to legislators or anybody else about what can be done to try to close that border off so that more moms like you yeah. aren't suffering the way you are and more people like Dominic don't lose their lives like this. Right. Um, because you're watching, you know, we keep talking about the numbers, some 4 million people have crossed that border illegally, claiming asylum in many of cases course. since Biden took office in 2012. So, or in, uh, excuse me, 20 months ago. Yeah. So my question is, is, you know, Donald Trump isn't there anymore, right. at least, you know, for the moment anyway. Yeah. Is there anybody in Capitol Hill, anybody, any legislators working for you or working with you to try to do something mm. to try to stop this? At this moment, let me think about No, nobody. Nobody reaches out. No one else has reached No, out. nobody. And uh, back then when Kamala Harris was still a senator, I walked into her office here in D.C. And I had my son's picture with me. And the, the team said, oh, he's a cute guy. Who is he? I said, he's a dreamer because she had a big sign in front of her office, welcome dreamers in Spanish. And then I told him, yeah, he was killed by an illegal alien. And they shushed me out and told me, if I don't leave the office, I will get arrested. Unbelievable. So that's the reception of the left. Actually, it's not unbelievable. It's very, it's very, very believable. believable. Tell me how you get involved with Tom Homan and his organization, Defend the Border. Well, Tom Homan back then with Donald Trump opened a voice office. It was an office to help victims of illegal alien crime. We could get counseling. We could find out if the illegal alien was still held. And that's when I met Tom Holman eight years ago, and we became friends, and we're still friends to, to this day. And in Miami, there in, in Florida, there's a group called Chexit, Jews uh, uh, leaving the Democratic Party, exiting the Democratic Party, and uh, the United West, and they started the Tom Holman Project. And it's going to tell his life. It's a two-year project. We tell his life story, 30 years of service to this country, incredible man. And we're doing films, um, short clips, a documentary with a brilliant director, uh, Chris Burgard. Um, and so we're, we're traveling, we're filming, we're talking, and it's always good to Telling run into the story. Him. It's so important yeah. for people to know. And yeah. Tommy, yeah, I'm sure you saw him here. I love this uh, man. He was with me about it two hours yeah. ago. He was, yeah. yeah, he is wonderful. The he's passion he's that he the has. real deal. And yeah, he is. He's very sincere. Yeah. He doesn't yeah. mince words. No. He doesn't care about political correctness. No. He's no. going to tell it the way yeah. it is because that's what has yeah. to happen. Yeah. I mean, and people need to wake up because the more illegal aliens that come across, the higher the chances for everybody. And I tell people, even if you don't care about my son's life being cut short at 30 years of age, there are so many illegal aliens that get told different stories, what they can expect here. They can go to Disneyland every day, and then they're indebted to these cartels who rape babies, who rape toddlers, women. They have rape trees where they hang diapers on as a trophy. It affects lives on both sides. And I'm tired of the Republicans and the Democrats, mm-hmm. both of them. Mm-hmm. Step up. We have a country to save. Because if right. we don't do this now, your listeners, children, grandchildren won't have a future. No, we, cannot, I, have yeah. a, we cannot have a country without a border. Yeah. And we cannot have uh, an open border in which criminals are allowed to come in here, waltz in here, violate our laws, yeah. kill our citizens, yeah. and then essentially walk away with, it with, you know, with impunity. Yeah. Um, I want you to tell me about Dom's, Dom Hugs as well. I'm yes. looking at the uh, page now. Yeah. I pulled it up while you're sitting here, and I see uh, a picture of your son, and it looks like his buddy. 
Yeah. The, the, uh, the dog. His, his dog. Yeah. Yes, that was his dog, Cyrus. He rescued him. Um, Dominic was my only child. We came from Germany, and he was 10 years old when we got to the United States. Took me six years to become a citizen. Well worth it. And Dominic's dad and I were divorced, so Dominic and I shared a household. We were best of friends. Um, I'm getting emotional now because I still miss him. The pranks he played on me, we tried to out-prank each other, and we, we, we did pretty good. Uh, we both rode motorcycles together. He was a pilot. He had a Cessna, so he flew me for lunch to Big Bear. Um, the love of my life, my best friend, and I don't have grandchildren. He never got married. He enjoyed life. He had so much more to do. He was going to become a helicopter pilot for the sheriff's department. Mm -hmm. That was his goal. His friends still celebrate his birthday. They name babies after him. Um, it left a huge void, not just in my life, but uh, it, it changed a lot of people. And one of the ladies who took that dreaded 911 call that morning, they were, they were waiting for Dominic to come to work, and he was late. And the call came in, and she took that call, and she tried to enter the license plate of the motorcycle that was laying mangled. And it wouldn't show up because it was a protected license plate because he worked for the sheriff's department. Wow. And then she knew it was Dominic. She couldn't work anymore, and she's now an attorney to fight against illegal immigration. Wow. Wow. God bless. Yeah. Um, I'm glad to hear your, your, your emotion and I see the tears on your oh, cheeks and I, and I, I'm, I'm glad of that as well. And, and yeah, I don't people, hide. people need to hear it. Yeah. People need to feel it. People yeah. need to know there are real consequences. There were real victims to the Absolutely. policies that are being allowed here right now. Yeah. And your, uh, your emotion is, um, is, is part of what is needed here. So yeah. while I'm sad that you went through what you went through and now 10 year anniversary, what was the date in 2012? It was 20, uh, July 12th. So you just had yeah. the 10th year yeah. anniversary of your son's death. Uh, while I would never wish that on anyone, no. the fact that it did happen to you and you are out here now, not hiding in a corner no. somewhere, nope. but being out and trying to protect That's other right. people yeah. by sharing your story. I travel all um, over. I go everywhere. God bless you for that. It's, I uh, just it's so important. came from L.A. on the Dr. Phil show even. Is that right? So it's, it's starting to reach the other side, and I've been praying Good. about that because we, we preach into the choir. We need to reach the people who still think it's no big deal. And I implore people, contact me on domhugs.com. I don't mind if you have a different opinion. Let's talk. Amen. We enlighten each other. Amen. Sabina, I, I thank you so very much. Again, my, my heart goes out to you thank and your you. family, but my appreciation goes out to you as well because thank you are you doing so much to try to stop other people from being victimized as well. Yeah. God bless you, and thank you for coming. Thank you so much, Bob. All right. Uh, it's uh, 1126. We're going to take our time out here, and we've got another segment to go, and we're going to be talking with the former director of Homeland Security in the United States of America, Ken Cuccinelli. He will be our last and maybe biggest guest. Uh, here at Holding Their Feet to the Fire 2022, live in Washington, D.C., Always Right Radio. We'll be right back. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by Keeping Medicare Simple and The Floor King. Okay, 1134, we continue now live in D.C. in the shadow of the Capitol. Always right radio on AM 1420, The Answer, and live at Holding Their Feet to the Fire, 
Federation for American Immigration Reform. We saved our best guest, maybe our most important guest, for last. Uh, or at least that's when we were able to catch up with Ken Cuccinelli. Ken <laughs> Cuccinelli, uh, we spoke with him the last time I was here for this event, which was in 2019, prior to the COVID year in 2020. It was canceled. Last year it was scaled down quite a bit. So it's been a little bit since I've talked to uh, the former acting secretary of the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. He has since added this title, Senior Fellow at Center, the Center for Renewing America. Ken Cuccinelli, thank you so very much for coming on. How are you? Yeah, it's good to be with you again, Bob. I see you're very active. I do see you catch, uh, catch you on TV all the time. Everybody is, is uh, obviously trying to pick your brain and, and see if you can make any more sense of it than we are, what is happening to this country and to the security of this country. There are so many elements that we can talk about when it comes to national security and how it's threatened by this completely porous open border. We could do the drug thing. We could do the human trafficking thing, the gang members thing, the cartels. We could talk about the uh, 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 terrorists that are being caught and the ones that aren't being and caught. And not being caught. Exactly. Right. That's the most Those important Those are the important thing. ones. Yeah. 78, I think uh, I think uh, I was told by uh, Robert Spencer, 78 people who are on the terror watch list have been apprehended. Yep. We don't know among the million gotaways or so how many of those were in that group. So. Can you rank or do you rank, or are they all kind of of equal importance to you in terms no, of threats to homeland security? No, they're not of equal importance. I mean, Christopher Ray, the head of the FBI, was testifying maybe a month ago, and he he was asked and noted that the uh, the border is a very problematic security situation for the whole country. And um, that's the head of the FBI. And he was rolling terrorism in there with crime because the criminal gangs operate internationally and are part of the, uh, for instance, the drug transport and and the human trafficking. Um, they work with the cartels. It isn't. There's multiple levels to this, and then um, terrorists. I mean, uh, security people play what's called the "what if" game. What if this happened? What would I do? What if this happened? What would I do? It's it's planning, right? And you you run through scenarios. Well, what if um, a person wanted to kill an ex-president? Where would they get the people to do that? Well, they'd get them over the southern border. Well, lo and behold, the FBI broke up just such uh, an attempt. And um, that's an obvious thing. It isn't like it took an Albert Einstein of crime to figure out you would move your people and assets over the southern border. Um, And that's a dumb one. We catch the dumb ones. They're not the ones I'm as afraid of. And, uh, you know, we're we're sitting here within sight of multiple targets. uh, Of course. Priority targets here in D.C. And um, obviously this is something I was very concerned about when I was at the Department of Homeland Security. And they're, they're allowing this in. And this is years' worth of damage so far into the future that it's hard to predict. Very so, hard to predict. So how do you respond when you hear the current administration and the Attorney General and Director Ray um, talking about the biggest threat that we face is domestic terrorism, particularly white supremacist domestic terror groups, rather than the jihadists that continue to pour across the border amongst a whole bunch of other cartels. The, the, the dangerous people you're describing right now, they're basically saying, eh, forget about 160 countries all gathering at our yeah. border and coming in. It's, it's these white supremacists we have to really worry about here, the ones who go to the school board meetings too much. Yeah, well, obviously, um, that's utterly and completely politicized to use to to paint their political opponents with and um just as the national guard at the capitol was after january 6 and everything else that was a half billion dollars flushed down the toilet um and and their priority is politics and appearances it isn't actually security now having said that let's not kid ourselves um there are white supremacist attacks that they point to and say see um, but you used a phrase, groups, and really if you look back at those incidents, 
they're they're lone actors exactly and um they've been particularly if you look at the ratio of incidents to deaths they've been particularly lethal so let's not kid ourselves about that 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 exists as a threat but they aren't trying to undermine the government they like the islamic terrorist threat seeks to do they seek world domination ultimately um it doesn't have the existential element to it uh that that others other types of terror threats have obviously it isn't an espionage issue mm-hmm. as we would worry about you know from the iranians north koreans russians chinese um using the porous border and we know they do um but uh so they use a real problem and then they blow it up beyond um incidental threats which are terrible i mean you know we're talking about people getting killed and um and we want to do everything we can to stop that but i would note don't fall for the title homeland security um homeland securities has very little authority to actually achieve homeland security that authority resides with the fbi they do counterterrorism they do once you're past the border unless we're seeking to deport you the authority virtually all at the federal level rests with the fbi all of it so i think the department of homeland security is, is ice under their purview no no ice that's what i mean other than deporting people oh, which gotcha. dhs does okay got it um, all other authority for instance to fight so let's any domestic terrorism threat is the jurisdictional responsibility of the FBI and I'm not shucking it from DHS there are lots of people at DHS that would like to participate in um in sharing that jurisdiction and authority and responsibility but that is not how Congress has set it out did you coordinate though at least in sharing information intelligence with uh the FBI when you were running DHS uh and and what is your characterization and I'm not asking you to be critical here be honest as much as you want of the current director of director of homeland security uh, secretary yeah I, I mean he was picked because he wouldn't protect homeland security that was intentional you know we talk in terms of gosh i can't believe it's so bad no this is intentional this is a an affirmative policy the open borders policy um alejandro mayorkas uh, you know when he talks about being inhumane he's referring to enforcing the law that's what he means. He doesn't mean 50 uh, illegal immigrants dying in the back of a truck because the people running this whole human trafficking effort don't care about the lives they destroy, including their customers, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um they just care about making the money and 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 that's a cost of doing business and that's bad bad marketing for them. That's all it is. They just it's a speed bump they roll on. And this and this administration takes no notice of the fact that they help make that incident happen and others like- WHK